This is Beta Cell, a show about people living with type 1 diabetes. I'm Craig Steuben. When we talk about the burden of type 1 diabetes, we're usually talking about the burden on people with type 1. How hard it is to manage blood sugars when exercising, trying to count carbs when you're at a restaurant, CGMs waking you up in the middle of the night, all the crap you have to carry around all the time. But type 1 doesn't just affect the people who have it. It affects everyone around them. Friends, family, coworkers, significant others, the people you're rude to when your blood sugar's high and everything pisses you off. When you're on a run with your friends, if you go low, they have to stop for you. When your CGM goes off in the middle of the night, it wakes your partner up too. Maybe you make your sister carry your glucose monitor in her purse so you don't have to. I'm guilty of that one. Sorry, sis. And when we do that, it feels like we're putting a burden on them that we're making their lives harder in some traumatic way. But I'm willing to bet that they don't think about it nearly as much as we do. The burden we place on them, it's made up. It's no big deal. They're probably happy to be able to help us because there's so many parts of type 1 that they see us dealing with that they can't help with. When we worry about it, we're just making an emotional burden that we're adding on to our own physical burden with type 1. Jasmine, who was diagnosed with type 1 at 9 years old, has been dealing with this fear of being a burden for a while. When you were a kid, why did you pretend you didn't have type 1? I did not want to be different. And I didn't want people worried about me. That was the other, that was the big thing. I have three sisters And uh, I'm the third of four girls, and I'm the only one in my family, I mean, my entire family, who has any kind of diabetes, and really the only one who has any kind of illness. Um, Like, nobody even has, like, high blood pressure or anything. But I, when I was diagnosed, I went into a coma. I was really sick for a really long time. And I hated that feeling of being the person that my family was scared for. So I tried to just act like it wasn't happening. I couldn't with my family, but with the world, you know, with my schoolmates and everybody else, I just try to pretend like, you know, if they asked me, I'd tell them that I had it, but I never talked about it or did my blood sugar or an insulin shot in front of anyone until I was in college. When you were hiding it, was that affecting how you managed it? Oh yeah, it was really, (laughs) I didn't do my blood sugars or... I skipped my insulin shots. I mean, stuff that I'm horrified by now that I wouldn't do. But at the time, I skated by somehow. I think I just ran really high all the time, and I wasn't extremely symptomatic. Like you just got used to being really high. Yeah. I think I was pretty much always in the 300s or something. Do you think that you weren't taking care of it because you were trying to hide it? Or were you just burned out on having diabetes? Yeah, I think I was burned out. I think I was scared. And I think I felt kind of hopeless about it. What did you feel scared about? I think at the time I was scared of low blood sugars. 
And I was scared of, I was scared of the long-term complications. I felt those looming over me pretty extremely, probably in a way that I definitely didn't need to. But at the time it felt like, oh, I'm just, I'm waiting to be blind basically, or, or something bad to happen. Yeah. Every time I go to the eye doctor, you know, every year, you know, they say, oh, you know, your eyes look good, but here's four packets on diabetes retinopathy and how if you don't take control, you know, or keep control, you're going to go blind. Right. Everybody has to figure out their way of dealing with it. I think part of my way of dealing with it was basically, screw this. I'm going to do whatever I want, you know, because I don't have that right now. I can totally see right now, you know, and none of this is happening to me at the moment, but who knows when it will. So I'm just going to do whatever I want and I'm not going to be different. I'm going to be the same as everybody else. Do you think it felt like the complications were going to be inevitable? So you might as well just like live life now. Yeah, I think in a lot of ways it did. And I think a lot of that is that adolescence, I had that feeling like, like I was never going to die or like I was going to go out in a fiery crash, like at 18 or 21 and just live a wild life before that. You know, it didn't seem as, um, I don't know, like the consequences are more real now than it was like, I could hardly imagine it, you know, just living to an older age with this disease felt um, like something I just couldn't imagine. Is there a point where you decided, you know, I, I can't keep doing this? I was in college and I found out about getting an insulin pump. I'm sure I had been skipping my appointments and just eventually had to go in order to get prescriptions or something. Found out about an insulin pump and I had to do three months of preparation in order to qualify to get an insulin pump because they had to be sure that I could be trusted with it. So I had to write down everything I ate. I had to really be super on top of my blood sugars because I wanted that insulin pump. I did all of that and it, I just ended up investing in myself in a way that stuck. Why did you want the insulin pump if you were used to hiding it for so long? I mean... I know what kept me from getting insulin pump for a long time is how I felt it would be so obvious to everyone that I had it and it would be impossible to hide. College for me was this awakening time. I went to an amazing school, met amazing people, great friends I still have to this day. You know, I think the core of me formed in college. I definitely gained self-confidence and a lot of self-love. And so I think that desire to hide receded. And so I wasn't really thinking about, am I the same or am I different? Or, or I was thinking I am different and that's great. And I also wanted to get the pump because I thought it was cool. You know, I was like, wow, you could do that instead of the shots. That seems, you know, easier. And also to just inject something once every three days, that's revolutionary, you know? When you were not taking care of yourself, did your family know? My family knew, but I really shut them out. I had a lot of shame about not being perfect and not, not having good blood sugars. And to me, they were good or bad, you know, and mine were always bad. <laughs> and so I felt like I was a bad person. My dad still jokes about this. You know, I'd write, I would lie. I would just write down different blood sugars and, uh, you know, go to the doctor and they'd be like, well, your A1C clearly states that these blood sugars are not accurate, you know? 
but I didn't want to talk about it with them because I just, I just felt guilty and ashamed, felt like it was a burden. I didn't want to bother them with it. Do you think that you not taking care of yourself added an emotional burden onto them that wouldn't have been there if you were taking care of yourself? Yeah, that's a good question, Craig. (laughs) I'm sure you're right. I'm sure that it did. Yeah. And now that I'm on um, a path where I am taking good care of myself, I'm starting to reach out to them and try to share with them, hey, look, here's my A1C or hey, if you want to follow my blood sugars, you can because they're pretty good. (laughs) And they're all very supportive. The way that it was when I got diagnosed, you know, I didn't ever hear the message of it's okay to not be perfect or it's okay to have high blood sugars. That's going to happen. You know, I didn't hear about like, well, everything impacts this, you know, hormones and stress and how much you exercise. Like the message I heard was like, eat the right thing. You'll have the right blood sugar. That's it. And so if I didn't have a good blood sugar, it was like, well, what did you do? You know, like, like it was A plus B equals C. It was like the blame game. Yeah, man. It, it absolutely felt like that. And, you know, looking back, that may not be the, the accurate truth. Everybody remembers things differently. But to me, I felt very blamed for sure. And um, I know that contributed to me just, you know, kind of putting it away because it was like, I just don't want to have to deal with people. And I still get super sensitive. Like when I check my blood sugar, I sometimes still cover the result. I don't like someone coming up behind me, even though I know it's going to be good. I mean, these days I still just, it just feels very private, you know, or if people ask me about it that are not diabetic, I would just want to be like, well, what's your cholesterol, you know, or like, what's your other private lab result, you know, that you probably wouldn't broadcast. I don't know. It just feels. It feels like a judgment. It does. It does feel like a judgment and it doesn't need to. And that's why I love hearing about parents. And, you know, this past, it was either March or May, I went to a JDRF convention and I saw these little kiddos, you know, like four and five years old running around with their Omnipod on and their parents are like so engaged and invested and it just feels like a new scene than the one I was diagnosed in. And I'm so happy for that. I'm so glad for them, you know. How has your relationship with your family changed now that you're more open about your diabetes? My relationship with my family is always evolving. And it's been getting better and better and better. And that's why I'm now open about my diabetes with them because We've worked on building trust and we've worked on being closer. And so they kind of happened at the same time. Honestly, for me, distance helps a lot. (laughs) You know, when you're right next to someone, when I was there, I felt overwhelmed and like I was going to disappoint them and like they were judging me and that sort of thing. But with some distance, I've been able to just get firm in who I am. And so if I do feel judged, I can understand that that's probably not what they intend. You know, they love me. They care about me. They want me to be healthy and happy. And so I can sort of, you know, I can hear that now. 
I don't think they would ever say it to me now just because I'm older and because I kind of told them to stay back for so long, but they definitely are way more involved in my life in many ways. And I'm, and I'm so happy about that. So do you think before it was an issue of interpretation that they would say something and, and mean it in a good way or a loving way, but you would interpret it as judgment and that would sort of cause you to react negatively? I think that that was true. And I also think that there was just limited language, you know, like we talked about before. There was just not a whole lot of information out there about all of the ways that diabetes can play out and all of the ways that life affects your blood sugar no matter what you do. You know, you're always going to have an unexpected number at some point and have to try to figure out what to do about it. And that, you know, doesn't mean you're a good person or a bad person. It just means you have diabetes. You know, I like, I send my dad like snapshots of my, um, my Dexcom average, you know, the two week average that you can get just so he knows where I'm at. Um, and to me, that's, that makes me feel like, I don't know, that I'm easing some sort of worry he might have. So is that more for him or do you, is it more for you? It's both. It's both. I think that he likes to know that I'm doing, I know he likes to know that I'm doing okay. And to see a number um, that proves it. That you can't lie about. Yeah, especially, yeah, because I lied so much when I was a kid about it. Yeah, so I do that. And it might be sort of a nod to that, too, because he still makes fun of me, you know? Um, so it's sort of like, here, you know, here's this thing. But it's also for me because I want to I want to share it now. Do you feel like you're building back that trust you might have lost as a kid? We have more trust now than we ever did. And I think that a part of it is because I'm more open. Does your fear of being a burden ever prevent you from seeking out help when you need it? Not professional help, but sometimes I will scale back on describing how I'm feeling. Like, for example, this depression, um, that I'm in now, it, I just didn't even want people asking me just like, how are you? Because I didn't want to say not good, you know, because I'd already said it a few times because I'd been not good for a little while. So you didn't want to lie. Yeah. Well, I didn't, I didn't want to lie or tell the truth either. I just didn't want to say it again. They want to know the truth. They want to know how I'm doing. That's why they're asking, but I didn't want to say again, well, it was hard to get out of bed and I've been crying a lot and, you know, all the details of it. It's like, I just wanted to, I would rather them ask me what I had for breakfast or something like that, that I could answer and, and not worry that it makes them worry. Were you afraid of their judgment or of feeling shamed? No, not with my friends. Definitely not. 
So it was more you not wanting to place your burden onto them. Yeah, you're drawing quite a link here. That's that's a good um, connection that I haven't made. Yes, absolutely. But it's um, I don't want to say it's rare, but it's not common. You know, um, most of the time, if I'm feeling depressed, I'll just say so. And the people around me are wonderful and they don't make me feel like I have to be happy or that it's not okay. They just sort of ask, what do you need? You know? And if I say, I just want to talk about the Kardashians, then they're like, great. (laughs) I mean, certain friends, some can't stand the Kardashians, but you know, you know who those friends are. So you don't ask them. You know, I've experienced a similar thing where, you know, diabetes feels like it's our own cross to bear. Mm. And you don't want to weigh other people down with that. Yeah. Because you don't want to take away from their their happiness or their or whatever they're doing in their life. But at the same time, it's so much easier to carry when you have a lot of people carrying it. Mm-hmm. You know, you gotta find enough people that they'll help you carry it. And you can help carry something for them. You know, you're you're carrying the same weight, but it's not all yours. You're spreading it out through over a bunch of people. And you're carrying, you're helping other people carry a lot of things too. Yeah. At these conventions, you know, like teenagers with their parents and they were so involved in each other's lives and they were so clearly supportive. And I definitely found myself thinking... You know, being a little bit jealous, but also just so happy for them. Yeah, I think some people's families are like their best friends. I I have a family that I'm getting closer and closer to and that I love so much. But definitely the people that I lean on most are my friends or, you know, what I would call like my chosen family. Do you still feel like a burden to your friends and family? No. My family may be... I think that your question was so spot on about, you know, not taking care of myself and that being sort of more of a burden to them. I think there's some residual stuff about that, but, you know, in terms of them being worried, but also, like I said, I'm the only one in my family who's like, quote unquote, sick. So if they're going to worry about someone, um, you know, it's going to be, yeah, probably. But I also get the sense from my family that they know I'm okay. And I don't, I don't feel like a burden at all. When did that change? You know, what's funny is that I may never have actually been sure that I was a burden. It was more just like the fear of it, you know? Is there any part of you that's grateful for type 1 diabetes? (sighs) I wish you could hear me roll my eyes. I love that question and I hate that question because I'm going to say yes and that's the answer, but I, you know, but I also just. It's okay if it's not the answer. It is though, but that's why I'm rolling my eyes because I'm like, how is that possible? I think the reason that I'm grateful for it is because it is a part of who I am and I'm grateful to be who I am. I feel good about that and I wouldn't be 
fairly optimistic, strong person the way that I am without this. And I know that, but that's what makes me roll my eyes. Cause I'm like, ah, oh, God, I gotta do all this stuff to, you know, to reap that benefit. But I know that I have a perspective that is unique. And I know that I value my days in a certain way because of this disease. And so, yeah, I am, I am grateful for it. Betacell is produced, recorded, and edited by me, Craig Steubing, and our theme music is by Purple Glitter. Be sure to subscribe to Betacell on iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play Music, the NPR One app, Radio Public, or even now on Spotify to get new episodes delivered automatically to you. We're launching a new show, Out of Range. Me and Laura from You're Just My Type are going to meet every week or two talk. Those episodes will show up in this feed. So subscribe now if you haven't already. I'm Craig Steubing, and this is Beta Cell.